Hi, I'm Craig. And I'm Linda. And this is the Indie Travel Podcast at IndieTravelPodcast.com. This week it's episode 250 and we're super excited because 250 sounds like a really exciting number. It does. It makes me feel kind of old actually, but I'm glad I'm not turning 250. Yeah. Well, I suppose it represents, well, almost six years of podcast. Really it should be five years because, you know, 50, 52 times five is about 250 and it's taken us six years to get this to get to this point so uh, sorry about that (laughs) (laughs) excellent well we are recording uh, outdoors today in Lisbon Portugal we're in a park with a terrace bar called Clara Clara it's near the uh, the National Pantheon which is where they bury a a whole lot of their uh, favorite people and uh, there's also a folklore festival going on in the background so you might hear a bit of music or the screaming of the kids uh, at the bottom of the park yeah, there's a playground just near us, so I don't. We might not have chosen the best place to record, but it is definitely, definitely beautiful. Well, there's a uh, car just about to come past, but in fact, on this Sunday afternoon, there's a lot less traffic noise than there has been anywhere else in the city. So, this is our best bet, and sorry in advance for any weird sound issues we encounter. And let us know if you like this, because obviously, usually we record inside somewhere boring in a room. But if you like the the background sound effects, let us know. Yeah, and just make my life that much more difficult when it comes to (laughs) post-production. Thanks, Linda. No problem. Well, today we're talking about Porto and the North, and we're kicking off our big indie rail adventure, which we've been planning and speaking about for a few months now. Yeah, it's really exciting. And it's actually upon us, and we're starting, and we're having a whole lot of fun. Not that we've been on a train since the beginning of the campaign, but we do plan to use a lot of trains during the trip. That's right. We'll be catching our first one tomorrow down to Faro, uh, near the south of Portugal. And then, thanks to acprail.com, we are uh, jumping on a Eurail pass after we get to Germany. Yeah, we've got one of those 15 days within two month passes, which is great because it gives you a lot of flexibility. I was looking into the difference between Eurail and and, uh, Interrail, and one of the problems with Interrail is that you're really limited in the amount of time you can travel for. But with this Eurail Pass, you've got two months, and you just travel on 15 individual days within that. It's going to be great. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And of course, you can add to our itinerary. Uh, Heaps of people have already, and we've really enjoyed taking their recommendations both uh, in Porto and here in Lisbon. So head over to IndieTravelPodcast.com slash IndieRail, and you'll also learn a little bit about our other sponsors, Urban Adventures and Rome. So obviously we've um, arrived in Portugal and we started our Indie Rail trip in Porto. We were there for what, four days, four nights? Yeah, that's right. Uh, We timed it to coincide with a big blogging and uh, travel media conference called TBU. So uh, a lot of our first couple of days in Porto was taken up uh, inside the Sheraton convention rooms. Which is very nice, highly recommended. Not that it's necessarily very independent, but you know, they, they, they put on a good good lunch. Yeah, a, a very good lunch for a couple of days. And then thanks to Tourism Portugal and the Porto e Norte Tourism Boards and TBU and probably a couple of other people because I didn't read the press release properly, <laughs> uh, we went on a trip from there up into some of the other smallest cities and other regions around the north of Portugal. So today we want to talk about some of the, our favorite things to do in Porto and uh, in the rest of the north of the country. That's right. Well, we started in Porto 
and we have been to Porto before. People keep asking us, oh, have you been to Portugal before? And we have to say, well, yes and no, because the last time we were in Portugal was just after walking the Camino de Santiago. And we, we finished in Santiago, and we had our flights out of Porto, so we needed to get down. We knew how to get there. There was a bus. But um, we decided not to go straight to Portugal because we were having such a good time walking. But instead of going to Portugal, we walked to Finisterre. So in the end, we arrived in Porto with just one night before our flights. So we ended up with, what, 16 hours, something like that. So what we ended up doing this time was we made it down to Pontevedra, which is uh, in Galicia, northern Spain, beautiful little medieval town. And then from there we caught a train down to Vigo, uh, which is a border town. A lot of people had said it was boring and not worth it, and uh, after wandering around for a couple of hours, uh, we decided to hightail it out of there. It and just headed straight for the bus station. Just didn't have that much to. I don't know, to catch our attention. Yeah, well, I guess a lot of people that are traveling up in this region are making a decision between maybe Vigo and Pontevedra. Um, and I definitely 100% pick Pontevedra every time. Yeah, Pontevedra is a lovely little town. So we walked up to the bus station. It was a long uphill walk, which we had been warned about. And we could have caught a bus, but we didn't. So we waited around for a little while and then hopped on a bus. And the bus was, what, three hours down to Porto? Yeah. Maybe, no, it was less than that. It was only like two, two and a half. It didn't seem very yeah. long at all. Yeah, all of these distances are really, uh, really jumpable. Like, they're, they're half a day from beginning to end, including getting yourself to the, the transport station, figuring out ticketing and, and getting on and off. So it makes it really easy to travel around up here. Um, there was no border formalities, uh, thanks to the Schengen Open Border Agreement. So. We just uh, zapped straight over and uh, came into Porto, which is a really pretty little town. Well, little city, really. It's definitely a city. And conveniently, the bus dropped us off at a metro station, which was the Casa de Musica. And that's one of the ones on the main line. There are several metro, metro lines, but there's one main section where almost all the lines go through. So we hopped on one of the different lines, don't know which one it was, could have been any other, and uh, traveled, I think, four stops to where we were staying. And then we only had about a five-minute walk to our hotel. Yeah, we were staying in a, a little pension kind of thing um, in Santa Catalina, which is a neat little area. It's quite touristy. There's lots of high street fashion stores, um, little cobbled streets, normally semi-pedestrianized rather than really pedestrianized. And uh, there's lots of examples of the beautiful blue tile work oh, yeah. that Portugal is famous for. Yeah, there's one church right near where we were staying called the Church of Santa Catalina. And the whole facade was covered with these blue tiles. It was amazing. Yeah, if you've never seen them, uh, maybe you've seen or heard of the, the Delft pottery that came out of the, the Netherlands, came out of Holland, um, uh, with these brilliant blue colors that uh, they created there and mainstreamed there. Well, these tiles are using the same technology and right throughout Portugal you'll find uh, these white tiles with blue pictures on them, either uh, geometric patterns in the Arabic style um, or the Moorish style and then those that tell, pic uh, tell stories through pictures as well. Yeah, that's right. The, the custom of tiling the houses actually came from the Moors who were Muslim and uh, Muslims aren't allowed to depict people or animals in their in their paintings and so when you see the um, kind of geometric shapes or flowers that tends to be more Arabic influence and the uh, the pictures are a bit more modern I suppose 
Yeah, and these tiles give uh, give a special feeling to the the cities and towns in Portugal, in the same way that uh, so many of the pavements are done in a, a mosaic yeah, style, and you really see the the Roman influence coming through with mm -hmm. these uh, mosaic footpaths. Normally, just uh, plain blocks about three or four centimeters by three or four centimeters square, something like that. Um, but then in some areas which are more affluent or more touristy, uh, they have pictures and things like that, uh, maybe the names of the restaurants mm -hmm. or the, uh, the shops out uh, in, in the like patterns. Yeah. yeah, it's really nice. So you can see how the Portuguese have taken a thing and changed it and really made it their own. Yeah, it's really cool. So that's something that I've really noticed everywhere, um, but especially when we came into Porto for the first time, just seeing these massive, uh, massive walls, not only churches and special buildings, but also just apartment blocks and things like yeah, that. Yeah, it's really normal. Uh, with either a few highlights of tiles or the entire walls being tiles, and that's really something to see. Yeah, apparently the tiles are really good for insulation, so that's one of the reasons why they do it. And it's also good for not having to keep repainting your house because it really keeps um, keeps stable. Yeah, I guess as we're talking about housing and walls and things, um, all of Porto feels a little bit grungy. Mm. Um, there's lots of tags around the place, lots of graffiti, a little bit of interesting street art. We'll publish some of the, uh, the photos we've taken of some of the better murals. Uh, but there's kind of a, yeah, kind of grungy feel which Although the city's beginning to grow again and beginning to pick up, it's really lost a lot um, over the last several years, uh, even before the, the European-wide economic crisis. And so there's a lot of buildings that are protected, but because it's so expensive and so time-consuming to get permits to refurbish them, um, they just sit empty and become derelict and... You know, it's a real problem. So, yeah, so it's uh, it's certainly not a, a, a clean, shiny, pretty city. It's a city that feels very well lived in. Yeah, it's got ambience. <laughs> well, but at the same time, it's it's very safe. Like at first glance, oh, yeah. you might look at that and go, oh, oh, ah. Mm. No, but we never felt unsafe in Porto. It was a really nice city to wander around. Even at night, you know, we'd be out drinking with friends and uh, come home at one, two in the morning and it would be fine. You know, there'd be some unsavory characters around, but usually no one no uh, one approached us. There was no there were no problems. You get that everywhere, That's eh? That's true. Well, so that was our first impressions of Porto. Um, some of the areas that I enjoyed wandering around in, I really enjoyed a little area called the, the Galleries of Paris, uh, which is a little street with uh, a bunch of bars. It's got... Um, kind of specialist stores, not touristy as such, but very uh, kind of high-level things. One of them had uh, reproductions of food products and baking products and things from um, that person we were talking to said it was like going to a grandma's house. <laughs> it was all this food from kind of the 40s, 50s and 60s with all the packaging and things like that. Uh, so that was a, a neat little place full of art and uh, yeah, interesting places to eat and drink. I really like going to the Bolsa, which is the stock exchange building. It's one of these kind of palaces which you wander around and are just amazed by the, the opulence and luxury inside. Another thing I enjoyed doing was uh, well, walking along the, the Douro River, uh, which finishes in Porto, where it meets the Atlantic Ocean, and, uh, and also going on a cruise. We went one night up to, the, up to one of the Posadas 
and uh, it was nice being on the river at sunset and yeah, just seeing beautiful. the seeing the sun drop down. And you could really see the the colourful villages both on the the Porto side, the main side, and also on Gaia, which is the the other side of the river. Yeah, we were told that Portugal is actually named after these two cities because you've got Porto and Gaia. So Porto Gaia sounds kind of like Portugal, and that's where the name comes from. Yeah, we learned a lot of history on this trip up in the north uh, because it was in this area that uh, modern Portugal was made independent from uh, from Spain and uh, the area that kind of held off most against the Moorish influence and the, the reconquest went south from here. Well, I guess the thing that most people think of when they think of Porto is uh, the fortified wine that shares its name, Port. This is where Port comes from. Yeah, and while we were in Porto, we drank a lot of Port. (laughs) (laughs) We also tried a new cocktail called Port Tonic, which unsurprisingly is half Port wine and half tonic and a slice of lemon. It was quite nice. Yeah, it was uh, a white Port if you're trying it at home. And uh, because there's different types of Port, you've got your tawny, ruby, uh, late bottle vintage and your vintages uh, and there's also a white port so that's uh, that's what was being used in the port tonics so yeah 50 yeah, 50 slice of lemon bit of ice you're all good and it's uh, really refreshing on a hot day and it was hot while we were there <laughs> especially after coming from Galicia where it's quite cool all the time um, south of Port Wells the south of the area Portugal is a bit hotter yeah and it's pretty hot where we are now in Faro The mic ran out of batteries in the middle of our recording, so we decided to leave it for another day and finish the recording now. We were saying that the wine is traded in Porto, it's actually stored and aged in Gaia, but the grapes are grown in the Douro Valley, and that's where we headed next, up to Pinhal. That's right, we we took about two hours in the minivan up to Pinhal, and we'd planned to visit the train station first, but because the trip took longer than we expected, we actually hopped straight on a boat and did a boat tour. It was in one of the Rebello boats, which used to be used to transport the wine from the Douro Valley down to Gaia. And uh, now the river is a lot calmer than it was then, so it wasn't as much of an adventure as it would have been back in the day. But it was beautiful. I really loved the kind of, there was a green algae on the river, so it was a, a fluorescent green. And yeah, it was really strange. The vines working their way up these uh, terraces on the hills, which just towered on either side and uh, the occasional uh, mansion, posada, where the, uh, the wine merchants would live. And then up above, there was just this brilliant blue sky. So it was a really, really lovely, colourful experience. Yeah, we had about 45 minutes on the river, and it was very, very nice. After that, we had lunch. What was the name of the restaurant? It was at one of the little boutique hotels there called the CS Vintage House Hotel. And uh, we had a, a great lunch, a, a nice couple of bottles of wine, <laughs> and uh, then went for a wander around the grounds and uh, got to have a look in their beautiful wine tasting room and uh, the library. It used to belong to one of all the, the old port families, and uh, they sold out the hotel, bought it. But uh, it's this beautiful mansion, and uh, right opposite is the Pinial train station. That's right, we walked out the back door, went through a little gate and ended up on the wrong side of the tracks, crossed the tracks, and uh, saw the station, which is decorated with old azulejos. It was decorated with these tiles in 1937, and they depict scenes of life in the Douro Valley, uh, making wine, things like that. It's really cool. It was, but what wasn't really nice is breaking down on our next stage of the trip while we headed north to Gimaraish. 
Yeah, that was an adventure. Not exactly the kind of adventure we were after, but you know, we got to see the side of the road. Very exciting. <laughs> For an hour or so. Luckily, we were in good company because we'd just come from this travel blogging uh, conference and we're traveling with 20 other bloggers uh, in addition to our guide and driver. So, uh, yeah, it's nice. Just stand on the edge of the highway, wave at passing trucks, <laughs> try and flag down beer trucks. Didn't and work. Uh, no, never worked. And I uh, had a good old chat. So we were supposed to do a tour of Gimaraish that evening, but because of our delay, it wasn't going to happen. But luckily, we had the best guide ever, Marta, and she reorganized things so that we could do that tour the next day. As it was, we just checked into our hotel, which was incredible. It was a posada. And a posada is the equivalent of Spain's Paradors. So there are amazing hotels that are in um, historical buildings. And this one was in an old convent. Yeah, they're often religious buildings, um, and when the kind of church was dissolved and all the assets were seized by the state, um, they kind of sat empty by the state, and, and now they're, they're run as hotels. So, yeah, there's just some amazing luxury in these places. It's crazy. But what I found really strange, they don't have double beds. They have all these <laughs> single beds put together. So, I mean, yeah. that, for me... Luxury is being able to sleep with you. <laughs> oh, you're so sweet. Yeah. But that's a very uh, Mediterranean thing. Mm, we have that in Malta as well. Yeah, and all We're not even Italy. on the Mediterranean here. I know, I know, but that's just the way it rolls. Yeah. Um, we uh, did a bit of a nighttime tour of Gimaraes, and it was really nice just to be able to walk through the town on our way to the restaurant. The whole old town's UNESCO World Heritage Site. Um, beautiful stone buildings, uh, medieval facades. Uh, they have several nice little fountains through the old town. And as part of the European City of Culture, which Gimaraes is, is one of this year, they've uh, been doing art exhibitions and they're all made up like swimming pools yeah, it was with really life preservers and the, the kind of multicolour uh, swimming lane markers that mm -hmm. they have and things like that in all the fountains. So it was cool. That was cool. Well, so the next day after our amazing dinner that night, uh, the next day we did our daytime tour of Gimaraes. And I think the most notable thing about the city is the castle, which was built in the 12th century. There's also a ducal palace, which was built, I think, in about the 14th or 15th century by the bastard son of one of the kings. And uh, there was, <laughs> the guide was so funny. She said, you know, the, the king and the queen ha had children, but uh, the king had more children than the queen. <laughs> <laughs> Which is quite a delicate way of putting it. It is indeed. Well, I want to backtrack just a second. Well, two things really. One is the great dinner that we had at the historical by Pababoa restaurant. It was, they, they just kept on bringing out these, these tapas of all sorts of things. Um, chicken gizzards was one of my favorite, which I never thought of eating before. Never thought I would, I would ever like, but it was Delicious. really tasty. Um, they had some good wine, including the Vino Verde, which is uh, famous from Mignal. It's a, a lightly sparkling uh, table wine, and they they pull it out quite quite young, I think. Mm -hmm. It's, got it's a very that, young wine. Got that that flavour to it, and uh, yeah, it was really really tasty. And um, the other thing about Gimaraes, which really caught my attention, was outside of the castle that Linda just talked about was where the battle was fought to to free Portugal from Spain. And um, now it's a car park. Now it's a car park, yeah. So the the historical battle which freed the people of Portugal uh, from from the Spanish overlords 
um, is a car park. It's it, traditional. <laughs> it was brilliant. But yeah, it was really nice wandering around Gumarash, especially because it's a city of culture at the moment. So they had a lot of things on, um, and they had a really cool logo, which you really liked. Eh? Yeah, I really liked it. It's in the shape of a heart, and there's a little notch that's shaped like an L, and it looks like a keyhole. So it's like, unlock my heart or something like that. Very sweet. Yeah, it was a, a clever idea. Well, we left the, uh, the Posada de Santa Maria. Um, I, I should say all of it. It's a bit of a mouthful. The Posada de Santa Maria de Costa. Yeah, get it right. It was, oh, gosh. It was so long. I just called it the Posada. Yeah, that worked quite well. <laughs> so we left there in the morning, and we, we did our tour of, uh, of Gamarais. And then we headed to Braga, which I find hilarious because Bragas in Spanish means underpants. So I don't know. It's quite juvenile, but it was quite amusing. Yeah, everyone's <laughs> just got a much better idea of how your mind works. <laughs> Um, according to some of the, the books I was reading in the notes I got, Braga is actually one of the oldest Christian um, cities in the world. It was founded by Augustus. Yeah, it was founded by um, by the Romans in the, the Roman era. And it's just amazing. Not not much of the, uh, the Roman thing remains, but we've already talked about the, the mosaic floors well, sidewalks, really, that, that cover everything and really speak to that, that Roman influence. Yeah, there was a lot to see as well. And it's also known as the religious capital of, of Portugal. And it's easy to see why. There's lots of churches and cathedrals and things like that. But up on the hill behind the town is Bom Jesus. It's a, a sanctuary. And to get there, you need to climb 600 stairs. Or you can take the funicular. Or you can go by bus like us. <laughs> yeah. We were dropped at the top and walked down the stairs, past all the cool fountains. Yeah, it was that's quite lazy. the way to do it. Yeah. yeah, these fountains, as you walk up, they've got um, different fountains that were sculpted, I think, 18th century, and they they go up. Every flight of stairs at the top has a fountain, and the ones that we were walking past each represented one of the senses. Mm-hmm. So, um, taste, sight, sound, things like that. And um, there's some pretty freaky kind of Burton-esque oh, sculptures going on. The problem is that to depict that this is the, the fountain about sight, they've got two pipes with water coming out of them and the eyes. And so it looks like someone's bleeding out the eyes or something. Oh, I just, I just didn't like it. <laughs> yeah, we've got a, uh, a good photo of that one, actually. If you're watching or if you're listening to the enhanced version of the podcast in iTunes and look at your screen right now, you'll see the... Uh, the water streaming from this poor woman's oh, eyes cool. and you'll see what I mean about it being kind of a, a, a Burton kind of feel you can yeah. imagine um, what's his name Johnny Depp and Helena Bonham Carter uh, dressed like this yep. um, and yeah maybe that's where he got some of his influence from yeah so they had those five um, fountains depicting the different senses and then three depicting I think it was charitable emotions and then right at the top there was a pelican I don't know what this what the connection was, but hey, <laughs> there a was a pelican. <laughs> well, we were starving by the time we walked through the uh, the cathedral, and we got to eat at a place called Mardesino's restaurant, and it was tasty as well. So they put on a whole lot of different types of tapas. I love Portuguese tapas; they're so delicious. They're quite different to Spanish ones, I find, but I suppose that makes sense. Anyway, so we had all of these different picky bits, and then we had a choice of four different main courses. I chose the steak and you had chicken, I think. Yeah, I did. That's quite unusual for me. Um, but it was chicken wrapped in bacon or stuffed with bacon. No, stuffed with bacon. And uh, <laughs> and, and that kind of pushed me over the edge. Mm. 
Um, our next stop was Ponte de Lima, which is another ancient town. It's got a really important uh, Roman bridge, which has been kind of restored and remodeled a, a few times. But it's amazing. It was the capital of the entire Minyal region, which is uh, the region we've been traveling through and also a, a quite a famous wine region in its own right. And there's been people living there since the 4th century BC when the Romans arrived. And the reason it's called Ponte de Lima, which means Bridge of Lima, is because there has been a bridge over the River Lima since then, since the Roman times. The one that's there now is really impressive. It's got lots of arches, wide ones and then narrow ones, as well as lots of arches under the water. And uh, it's been there since the 14th century. We had just missed their big town festival uh, by a day. I mm. believe it was on the night before. But as we walked into the uh, the main church to have a look around there, there were uh, the huge, uh, what do you call it? Not altars. quite floats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, movable altars uh, that people pick up and carry around the town. Yeah, and with statues of religious figures. So there was Jesus and Mary, and there was a saint who was burned in Japan. I don't know what his name yeah, was. Yeah, I think it was a, a local uh, missionary. He, yeah, he died uh, taking the gospel to Japan. And it was just crazy seeing the huge weight of these things and imagining people picking them up and, and carrying them around the city. But yeah, it also amazing. meant there was a whole, um, a whole carnival set up as well <laughs> along the riverside, which was kind of fun and kind of didn't give us a very good idea of what the place was like normally because yeah. there were all these um, yeah, fairground rides and, and lights in the streets. So we escaped into the old town and sat down and had a beer in a pedestrianised street. and It was lovely. Yeah, it was good. After that we headed to Vienna, which sounds like Vienna for good reason because King Alfonso III thought that the town looked like Vienna of Austrian fame and so he called it that. Or... He had a mistress there called Anna and V to look or to see and Anna, the name. Yeah. Yeah. I saw Anna. I think it just is stretching things a little bit. I think so, but it's a very romantic story. Yeah, okay. Well, in Vienna, there's a, a bridge that was designed and built by Gustav Eiffel um, around about uh, the... Of Eiffel Tower fame, yes. in case you missed that one. Yes, yes, yes. Around about the time, as I was going to say, that he did the Eiffel Tower. And there was also another bridge in Porto that he did. And he started the one in Vienna first, but he finished the one in Porto first. So, you know, they kind of fight it out over which bridge was built by Gustav Eiffel first. I think it's a silly argument, personally. (laughs) Well, Vienna do Castello is another really pretty little town. And once again, uh, we haven't mentioned, but all of these places are day trips away from Porto. We did it all um, this, in one day. You we, could quite conceivably do all four cities, uh, Gimaraes, Ponte de Lima, Viana do Costello, and Braga, Braga in one day. From Porto. From Porto. If you had your own car. You'd have to have your own car. But if you're uh, going, mad. going on the public transport, uh, mm-hmm. all of them are kind of 20 to 30 minutes away, um, either by coach or by train from, yeah. uh, from, from Porto. Each other. No, from and Porto. And from each other. From Porto, they're between 50 and 80 kilometers, so you probably need about an hour. Uh-huh. Okay, I thought it was a bit shorter than that. But it no. depends on where you go first, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, I guess so. Um, so yeah, so this one's the um, out on the coast, right out on the Atlantic, um, just like Porto is. So we've kind of done a anti-clockwise circle mm-hmm. inland to the Douro and then heading back out towards the coast again. And um, in Viana, I guess the, the most spectacular thing... Certainly the most iconic thing. Yeah, is the sanctuary of Santa Lucia. 
it's amazing. It's basically a copy of the Sacre Coeur in Paris. So it really seems like Vienna has more connection with Paris than with Vienna, Vienna. in my opinion. <laughs> but it's amazing. It's just a small little church, basically, but incredible at the top of a hill. And we were staying in a posada further up the hill from the, the sanctuary. So we had the best views ever. Yeah, if uh, it's still around this time when you're listening to the podcast, if it's still September-ish of uh, 2012, our Facebook lead image at facebook.com slash indie travel is the view from our bedroom window um, from the Posada de Santa Lucia over the, the sanctuary of Santa Lucia. And then behind it, you see the Atlantic Ocean on the right and the old medieval town um, out to the left. It was It was incredible, stunning. really spectacular. And so, yeah, it's a very beautiful place to visit. And the restaurant we went to down in the town is famed throughout the country, not for being fancy, not for being pretentious, but just for having really good local Portuguese food. Yeah, it's called camelo, which means camel. And luckily we didn't eat camel, but it was a really good experience. They gave us lots and lots of tapas again. Too many tapas, really. I was full by the time they finished the tapas. And then we had a choice between fish or pork. And I chose the pork. And if you chose the pork, you could choose either regular rice or pork blood rice. Now, I think this was a really bad translation on Marta's part. Marta was our guide. Because a lot of people went, oh, I don't think I could eat that. It came out, it was the most delicious thing. Not that I've ever eaten, but it was really, really delicious. And I managed to convince five or six of my uh, table mates to eat it as well. Now, these guys make their own wine, and my standout of the evening was their red, followed by their fire water, I guess, <laughs> their, uh, their great brandy they brought out to finish the night. Uh, both wonderful, and I wandered around with a, a, uh, a kind of a cognac glass of spirits as we walked out to go and try and find the pigs that they actually... They raise on, on site on and site. butcher on site. Yeah, um, to, to serve in the restaurant. And yeah, it was just a fantastic little place, Camelo. I'd highly recommend it. I know um, people actually drive up from Porto to, to go and eat there. I believe and, him. And then go back The again, food was so delicious. It's, yeah. And it's the service was really, really out. friendly. Yeah. So from there, uh, it wasn't far back down to, to Porto. It was uh, less than an hour in the bus. Uh, so if you had your own car, it would be be faster, but that's about the rough time. And uh, yeah, we were just back in the back in the old city in the the main square, which a lot of people from Porto don't actually like. Mm. Um, it's kind of a it's a, a good meeting place, but it's yeah. not. It's a good meeting place for big events, but it used to be a garden, so it was a good place for having a coffee. And now it's kind of empty. Yeah, but it's still uh, pretty. It's, it's very pretty. There's just not enough shade to be mm. able to go and hang out there. So we ducked into a, a cafe and uh, had a drink there before going down to the station and heading down south to uh, Lisbon, which I guess we'll talk about next week. Yeah, that's the topic of our next week's podcast, Lisbon and where we are now, which is Faro. Cool. Well, um, we are so far over time, it's mm -hmm. ridiculous. So a quick thanks again to all of our Indie Rail sponsors, ACP Rail, Drome, and Urban Adventures. And uh, do come by IndieTravelPodcast.com slash IndieRail to give us your recommendations for our upcoming places. Uh, next will be in Dusseldorf, then Berlin, then Prague, then Vienna. 
and uh, even more after that. So come by IndieTravelPodcast.com slash IndieRail and uh, let us know where to go. That's right. Well, that's us for this week. Until next week, travel well.